Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you that God uh, shows us his love because he sent the Lord Jesus. But we only know that that is true because we get that from the Bible. So therefore we pray that you will please help us to learn about you from the Bible in a way that grows our confidence in you. Uh, that the Bible message uh, will always win and grow in our lives. Teach us that, we pray, as we study this part of the Bible tonight together. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he fit, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the Indian country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. So all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Please keep that part of the Bible open and uh, we're going to pause while the children go into their group. The children will go on and so therefore we can uh, ask ourselves a question. Uh, how long will you give Christianity in Britain? Is it all over when you look at the diving numbers of people going to church in, say, the Church of England, which is a national church, the Roman Catholic Church, which is a very large church, getting smaller by the day? And there's a dive and decline. And our non-Christian culture in Britain means that Christians are scared to open their mouths because we're not experts, we can lose arguments. When you go to churches, you find that there are people who actually are quite confused in what they think and believe. When you go to other churches, you will actually find that people have got the Bible back to front and they believe the opposite of what the Bible says and teaches. And then you get this society that we're in where people seem to want the good things that Jesus offers and the good life that Jesus brings, but who want to bypass him to get it. So you might say, are we finished? Should we shut the door, turn the lights out, and realize, realize we've had our day? And that's true in many countries, isn't it? There are places where it's really hard to be a Christian. I don't know what it's like in Lebanon, or even Syria, or any other place. It's difficult. And you think, it's only a matter of time before someone switches off the life support system. Now, the passage we've just read is not just telling us about the past. That would be boring. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do us any good. What that passage is telling us is about the future. But even though things might seem small and the Bible seems to be losing ground, the truth is that actually the Bible will always be gaining ground in the end. And so you see, at the end of our little reading, Acts chapter 19, verse 20, these words, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And that is a little <coughs> saying that Luke puts into his book called The Acts of the Apostles, and he puts it in every now and then to show us that he's got a little marker post that we've 
got to the end of another one of Luke's sections. And so you'd expect to see that being written up when the church takes off in Acts chapter 2. And you do see something like that in Acts chapter 2 verse 47. You get a marker post. Let's have a flick and a read. Keep the finger in Acts chapter 19 and go to Acts chapter 2 verse 47. And it says there how people uh, were praising God and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, those people becoming Christians more and more. But that's a good day. And you can expect to hear that at the end of a good day. But what about when it's a hard day and things start going wrong? And what happens after that is that Christians are attacked. Christians um, uh, ultimately are, um, are dishonest. And I aspire to get some money back, saying that they'd given it all. Christians become disunited. Some people saying, well, they're getting more than we are. And yet, one by one, through all those different setbacks, God brings his people through. And you see this little marker post again in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, have a look at chapter 6, verse 7. And the second master post says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And so it goes on. Then once again you start getting the dive bombers arriving, and you get a man called Saul killing off those people, and one particular church leader called Stephen. But then Saul becomes a Christian, so for a moment things are fine, but then... The church leader of Jerusalem, James, is killed by the king in that, in that time. And in Acts chapter 12, again, all the shadows have come. And then yet, at the end of the chapter, the king dies, and you see another marker post. Acts chapter 12, verse 24, and again you see the end of the section, and the end result of what happens. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And in today's passage, again, we've got that marker post. You can see there, it's Acts chapter 19, verse 20. And it's because things have gone wrong. And generally, we think that when we are struggling, that God is losing ground. And yet, through those struggles, God is always going to bring about a fresh number of people becoming Christians. It's always going to be like this. Luke puts his marker post in his time so we can expect it will be like that with us as well. Gain confidence. And the four things that Luke speaks about here that are spanners in the works are things that can also get in our way and cause difficulty for us. And we're going to look at four things and you can see them on the sheet of paper that you've got first. Cleverness can be a problem, can't it? Now, let's uh, go to uh, uh, one person who is very clever in Acts chapter 18. His name is Apollos. You meet him in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And amazingly, uh, he is just so good, isn't he? His eloquent and competent in the scriptures in verse 24. You can see 
He comes from Alexandria. Alexandria is the key, the biggest university town in the whole of the Greek Empire. And this man comes from there. In fact, he's so gifted that when he leaves Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, that's where he starts. If you look at Acts chapter 18, 24, he's in Ephesus. But then in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, he moves to Corinth. Well, when he goes to Corinth, he has such a fan club that people put him on the same level as the Apostle Paul, as the Apostle Peter, even on the same level as Jesus. So you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's just the next uh, book but one, and um, it's on page uh, 952, just a few pages on, page 952, and you see this man, Apollos, chapter 1, and verse 12, there are some people that say, I follow Paul, and some people say, I follow Apollos. Other people say, I follow Peter, Kephas, or I follow Christ. He's made it. He's up at the big time, people. And yet, even though he is a super brain, there's one little area that he needs to be straightened out on if you look at chapter 18, verse 26. And it says here in verse 26, he began to speak boldly, they heard him, and they took him out because he'd only been, he only knew the baptism of John. That's verse 25. Now, John's baptism... Uh, it was really about turning back from the old life. But when Jesus asked people to be baptized, he told them to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to understand all that God had done for people who turned back from their sins. And he may be at the point of baptism. This man, Apollos, who had been teaching accurately about Jesus in verse 26, at the point of baptism, it may be that he doesn't say everything about God that he could say, because he's only known the baptism of John. So it might be that he was slightly foggy about the Trinity at that uh, uh, point uh, in his work. But let me ask you, now, who on earth is going to correct a person who is uh, eloquent and competent in the scriptures? It takes a very brave person to do that, doesn't it? But the answer is there in verse 26, just an ordinary Christian couple who hadn't been to Bible school, they were just making tents, that was their job. But they took Apollos home, they probably gave him some lunch, and they had a quiet chat with him to help him understand the Bible more accurately, it says in verse uh, uh, 26 at the bottom of the page. And a simple Christian couple with a Bible sorts out this mega brain in the Christian church. And the cleverness 
is put to one side as he learns from the Bible and becomes humble in taking it in. And that's uh, really helpful, isn't it? It's a simple couple. It's not that the um, clever people sort out the views of the Bible. It's the Bible that sorts out the views of clever people. That's what happens when you have a Bible in your hand and you explain it. I remember once in the 80s, there was a big discussion in our church, in the Church of England I met, about whether women should be leading churches. And there was a big push for women to lead churches and I just couldn't see it in the Bible. And I was trying hard to follow what everybody was saying but I just couldn't see it here. So I got in touch with the chief guy in General Synod who was really leading the charge on this. And I said, please could you help me to see because I can't see. And he said, I can tell you're genuine I will send you all my personal notes so you can study this and in depth for yourself. And I did. I read the notes. And I still couldn't see the Bible in it. And I asked him and I showed him what he was saying, the arguments that he was giving me. And he then admitted that all the arguments came from culture rather than from the Bible. But because he was already now committed to this cause, uh, he wouldn't come back from it but he admitted that that's where his thinking came from because the word of the Lord was something that was there and couldn't be uh, uh, questioned and it's just really helpful for us to know that the word of the Lord continues to increase and prevail mightily when ordinary couples, ordinary people aren't frightened about cleverness but just explain what the Bible says. And it serves the clever people to hear that. I'm hoping that uh, one day in the future, perhaps if I'm uh, stuck in a hospital bed and uh, you come and visit me, that one of the things you will do is not say, Mike knows the Bible, we'll talk about other things but that you would come with your Bible and say, Mike, I want to encourage you with something I've learned recently. And put the Bible in front of me because that will help me in those times. Don't ever think that anybody is too clever to hear what you might be able to share from the Bible with them. Okay? Uh, understand that cleverness itself is not the important thing. It can't get in the way. And a couple with a Bible can correct that and uh, help the cleverness uh, to become accurate in what it thinks and teaches. The second thing you find in Acts chapter 19 is a bit of confusion. Verses 19, 1 to 6. And it seems that here are people who are disciples, but something's not right, is it? Paul can find out, can, can understand that something's not right. And it seems like they are a bit like Apollos because they know the baptism of John in verse 3. But there's a difference. Apollos taught about Jesus accurately. But these 12 men are called disciples 
But in the end, they get baptized in verse 5, which is something you only do to new Christians, people who become Christians. So Paulus didn't need baptizing, he just needed a slight correction. But these guys really needed to become Christians and start afresh. And I think the reason uh, that uh, this happened is because they are John's disciples. And John's disciples really, if you want to think of it like this, it may help, are Old Testament believers. John is the greatest in the Old Testament because uh, he is there uh, right at the end of that period. But what John is doing, as Paul says in verse 4, is he is pointing people forwards to believe in the one who is coming after him. Now they say here that they hadn't even heard the Holy Spirit, but actually if they'd been with John, they would have heard the Holy Spirit in the sense that John said that the Holy Spirit, would, Jesus would baptize people with fire and the Spirit. So they would have heard that. It's just that they would have had the assurance that these things had already happened. For them it was still in the future. They didn't know that the Holy Spirit had come. In that sense they hadn't heard the Holy Spirit because no one had told them the Holy Spirit was now here. And so Paul explains in verse 4 that John was future facing but now these things had taken place and therefore they believe Paul and they are baptized. And today there's a lot of confusion about the church and not least about the Holy Spirit. And you go to churches and they will tell you that it's a bit like this passage that creates the confusion. So people say you become a disciple of Jesus then after that, in a second step, additional blessing, you get the Holy Spirit. And people look at this passage and say, it happened here, that's what must happen today. But to think like that is confusing. Because what the Bible tells us, if you look at verses 3 and 4, is that when a person becomes a Christian, if you like, there's a package of four things that happen together. And the four things that happen is that people repent, people believe, in other words they turn back from the old life that they used to live, they turn back from the things that God doesn't like, and then they believe that Jesus died to forgive them those things and has given them heaven by dying for them. And then thirdly therefore they get baptized with water and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So becoming a Christian is to receive a package of these four things. Not to think of one blessing and then another blessing. It is all these four things at the same time. So don't look at your notes, don't look at the screen. What are the four things? Look at me. Quick memory test. First, repentance, then? Believe. Believe, then? Baptized. I'm looking to see if anyone's looking at the screen or the notes. You're looking at the screen, you're not allowed to answer. And the last one is? Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, a package of four things. Always be clear when you're teaching this, because you will sort out confusion when you understand that that is how it is. And afterwards, because they're not, they didn't have assurance that God 
had died for them and that the Holy Spirit was theirs, they now received their own little mini Pentecost. And they speak in tongues and do those things that the Jews did. And they now do those things. And how much it would help them to do if, if those things happened to them because they didn't have assurance before, but now they have the, the assurance of the Holy Spirit in them. And, and it's a lovely way in which the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter are put on the same level. You know in other places, Peter comes, he prays, he puts his hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is the only other person who is involved in praying for people, putting his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Apostles are mainly about the Acts of two Apostles and their level of pegging, Peter and Paul. And Paul sorts out the confusion. The third thing uh, that we see is the sorting out of kingdom rejection because that seems to be the rub that's where the jewish synagogue pushed back at paul in acts chapter 19 verse 8. he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of god but they don't receive it now, don't get too excited when people hear about Jesus being the king because, frankly, it's Marmite. Some people love it, but particularly religious people hate it because largely they think that they are on the road to doing the things that God wants them to do. So how they've grown up and been taught to live all their lives. And so therefore you don't need anything new to change the way you think. And the way people describe it is that the Bible writes things and we look at what the Bible has written and then we try and do them and that is what pleases God. Whereas that is to get the Bible back to front. Because the Bible is written not to give us things so we can please God. That is not why the Bible is written. The Bible is written to show us that our lives are not pleasing to God. So that we are carried along by the Bible to the Lord Jesus to ask him to forgive us. And let me tell you, it puts your relationship with God on an entirely new footing if you read your Bible in that way. Because what will happen after you understand the Bible is there to show us that we're not Christians. Once we realize that, then and realize the forgiveness of God for the way that we've been with him, what starts for the first time then is that we start to love him. And then the new life comes out of a person who's a Christian because they love the Lord Jesus and therefore they change away from the things that he doesn't like. You might remember in the Bible, I think I'll put in the notes, that uh, a man called Simon uh, gets uh, a mention in Luke chapter 7 
And Simon did his best for God, lived his life doing his best for God. He puts on a dinner for Jesus. But then gate crashing the dinner party comes a woman who had done her worst for God. Simon done his best for God, she'd done her worst. And so she's now crying all over his feet. And Simon just didn't like it. But what Jesus did is, look, Simon, tell you the difference? The difference is she loves me more than you do. And because she loved Jesus, that her old life was over, she broke a perfume jar over his feet, which is what she would have used in her old trade to make her attractive to men. But by breaking that jar, she's now really saying, that old life is finished. Why? Because she loves Jesus so much. And that's how the change happens. Not by looking at a to-do list and saying, I must get these things done if God is to accept me. And so there is a difference between what the Bible calls, not the Bible calls, we call a summary of this, works righteousness, where you have to work hard for God to call you righteous. Mm -hmm. The difference between that and trust righteousness, where you trust God to give you his righteousness because you've admitted that you have nothing righteous in yourself on your own. And there are two types of righteousness. It works righteousness and it hates trust righteousness. And Paul has to leave the synagogue. And the believer is the person who trusts God to give them righteousness. That's why religious people who are going for works righteousness are called unbelievers in uh, this chapter in verse 9. They are stubborn and continued in unbelief because they did not believe that you became righteous in this way. And so therefore, my friends, you've got today religious people, the works righteousness people, like Jews in Paul's day, uh, probably quite a number of Roman Catholics fit that category today, JWs, all works righteousness people. You do these different things and then God will approve. But they don't ultimately have Jesus as their king because you only have Jesus as your king if you are working on trust righteousness. Where you start listening to Paul in verse 9 and leaving that old way of thinking that you want to uh, do works righteousness and going away instead to hear about trusting Jesus. And as that happens, you can see in the hall of Tyrannus, uh, wonderfully, the word of the Lord increases and prevails in verse 10. Continues for two years. So all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Of course they would, because Ephesus is an amazing city that everybody is coming to from everywhere else. And for two years, if you come in to see the sights and you hear about this um, um, gig going on in at the Hall of Tyrannus, you'd want to go and listen. And 
take the good news home with you as well and all the residents of that area heard. And kingdom rejection turns uh, on its head and people learn how to accept the king instead. Then lastly, there is competition. We haven't got too much time left, so we've got to go quickly. But he comes out, really, in a couple of ways, between verses 11 and 19. You see, Paul's doing a miracles, extraordinary miracles in verse 11, which is a strange thing to say, isn't it? Because any miracle is extraordinary. So when you're talking about extraordinary miracles you really are heaping on something that is completely out of anybody's experience, usually. And again, you see, Paul is put on the same level as Peter, because you remember how Peter, his shadow just passed over people and they became better in Acts chapter 5. Well, here, take a handkerchief that's touched Paul and amazing uh, power is there to heal and help. And so everybody's amazed by uh, the power of Paul's God. But one group of people don't trust, and the other group of people do trust God's power. The ones who don't trust God's power are the people who try and manipulate God's power for their own ends. These seven guys, the sons of Sceva, who want to use the same formula that Paul uses, the name of Jesus, the name of Paul, in verse 13, but it doesn't work. And everybody can see that they don't have the power that they think they have. Verse 16 is really bad for business, isn't it? You say you've got God's power, but then you run out of someone's house naked and you run down the street in the nude. I mean, that doesn't do your reputation of power any good, does it? It's really hard to get someone to believe that you are powerful when you are sprinting down the street looking for a pair of shorts. It just doesn't work. And these guys are trying to manipulate the power because they don't trust the power to be on the receiving end. They just want to be using it. And that is embarrassing. But the other group are the opposite. They don't do the competition. They actually leave the competition. They trust that God's power is so great that they're going to change where they put their security. It's no longer what they trusted in before, which is the magic that they learnt and had and read about. And they were never going back to that way of thinking again. The magic books reminded them of their bad trust. And so they wanted to bury those days as much as they could by burning the books. 50,000 pieces of silver worth of bonfire. Ah, You put that in the millions today. And so... Again, there's this amazing change, and you get the little summary verse again, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All these different little setbacks of cleverness, confusion, kingdom rejection, competition, all gone, and the word of the Lord is increasing and prevailing mightily. Now, what can we learn from that today? I want to suggest that our 
three groups of people that we always want to try and help. And the first group might be someone who's new to Christian things. And if you're new to Christian things, it's so easy, isn't it, to think, you know, I don't want to go near this Christianity because it's only a matter of time before the final whistle is blown and the game ends. But before you reach that conclusion, come away from that conclusion because the reality is that the word of the Lord will always increase uh, and multiply. And so therefore, instead of uh, binning what you hear, why don't you receive this package of four things through which God can change you? Change your whole life. Repent. Turn away from uh, the way that you used to think and live. Put your trust in God that he loves you, that he can save you, that he will give you heaven tonight if you turn to him. That you will be baptized and be, uh, express your trust in Jesus in that public way and receive the Holy Spirit because he promises that's what he will give you as you turn and follow him. And wonderfully you will see in a personal way verse 20 happening, the word of the Lord continuing to increase and prevailing mightily in your life. What happens if you've been to church uh, lots of times and well again actually it's worth remembering is it how hard it is for synagogue people we might say church people today to see how the Bible is not there to show us primarily how to obey the Lord Jesus as King and if you've gone to other churches you know that the sausage machine works like this that what those other churches are mainly trying to do is to turn you into a Simon rather than a sinner by giving you stuff to do that make you perform well in front of God rather than to show you from the Bible that our performance is way off where it should be and where we need the Lord Jesus to forgive us May churches turn people into Simons, but God's work through the Holy Spirit is to turn us into sinners so that then love begins. And with that love working powerfully in our lives, we walk out of the old life to become like the person that we love. And then lastly, if you are a real believer, my friends, don't believe the lie that it's all going down the chute. Read verse 20 and you say, this is present and future, not just past. And that is why every single Christian will want to give their lives to the gospel. So the way we live, as well as, well as the way we speak, is commending the Lord Jesus, encouraging people to come and follow him. And we can do that as the most ordinary Christian tent maker 
around. And an ordinary Christian will sort out the cleverest person with the Bible. Explaining the Bible will also sort out the most confused person. And reasoning from the Bible could persuade even the religious person. And as the competition loses ground, there will be new confidence for the trusting person that says, I don't need to trust these old things that I lived for in the past. I've got one person to trust now. And that's how I will live my life in the future. And the next time someone tells you, Christianity is finished, you know. I don't know why you go to this old church uh, on a Sunday. It's just a matter of time before they knock it down and turn it into an Indian restaurant. And the truth is that might be true of churches that don't teach the Bible. They are shutting, that's true. There is a decline. The Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church does see a drop in numbers because largely the, the Bible has been lost. But where there is an explanation about Jesus, there are new churches starting in London. All over that map, as you can see, in commission, we've got new churches that need to add to the number of dots that you see there. And you can see that this church wasn't here five years ago. And there's new churches beginning to reach out people to tell them about Jesus because verse 20 will always be true. The word of the Lord will continue to increase and prevail mightily. Live in the light of that truth. Let's pray together. You might want a moment of quiet while you talk to God about what you've learnt and then our prayer summary prayer after a minute when you've prayed your own. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we ask that where we've doubted that you are true and real because the vast majority of people don't think that and only a small number of people do and they seem to be getting smaller. Lord, we pray that you would please help us not to go in the way of our doubts, but to understand that your word will increase and prevail. And we therefore pray that you please help us to seek you out in repentance, in baptism, in, in belief, in baptism, and in receiving the fruit of the, the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, for others of us who might have got the Bible back to front, thinking that it's just a book that we look and then learn how to be good. Help us to see how it's here to draw us into a new love of you. We pray that will be true of each person here as well. And we pray that you would please help us not to be discouraged as we look around and believe what society tells us, that uh, we're dinosaurs. And please, Father, would you help us to see that in the end it is your word that will win and to put our trust and confidence that that is so and to give our lives for something that is going to grow and in the end one day fill the universe. Please, would you help us to live with that confidence and to live 
with that purpose, to make the word of the Lord known. And then, Lord, in our estate, please, will you grant it that the word of the Lord increases and prevails mightily in Beckentry and Dagenham. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.